You guys are all looking a little nervous out there. No, just me? Okay. Well, uh, it is my great privilege to speak here uh, with you guys this morning. Uh, as Pat was saying, I'm Jordan. I'm the new director of student ministries here at Kish Church. Uh, here's hoping that after the sermon that I remain in that position, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, Pastor Eric, before leaving on vacation, uh, he asked me to fill the pulpit, and, um, you know, I always think of, uh, you know, how can I maximize uh, that opportunity, and so, uh, of course, I'm going to be talking about youth, okay, and, and kids at this church, and so, uh, and just how we can together raise them to fear the Lord, and so I'm just grateful for, for this opportunity, and uh, yeah, so let's, let's jump in. As Pat said, you know, we're or, uh, read from, we're looking at Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 through 9, and uh, this is actually a very, very uh, famous passage in the Bible. Um, in fact, uh, with Jews, it, they have a specific name for it. It's called the Shema, uh, which is a Hebrew word which simply means to listen uh, and to hear. And so, uh, but yeah, it's, it's one of the foundational passages in all of Scripture because, uh, well, I mean, I guess we'll get into that in a little bit. But, <clears throat> but here, okay, Moses is, is speaking to uh, the Israelites. Uh, you know, they're about to be in the promised land, and, and God is wanting the people of Israel uh, to love him and uh, to, to consequently follow the commands that he gives them. And so, <clears throat> uh, you know, he, he's saying these things, and, and there's also sort of a problem that you know, I think God is foreseeing, uh, and that's that the people tend to forget about God, right? I mean, we see that throughout most of Scripture, that uh, the people turn their backs on God uh, because they've simply forgotten about him. Uh, and so uh, we'll, we'll come back to that idea a bit later, but uh, I want to just look at the passage now. Uh, so verse 4, it says, you know, Hear, O Israel. And uh, again, that Hebrew word is Shema. We don't need to get into all that. But basically, it's immensely important because anytime you see listen in the Bible, almost always, I should say, uh, it, it has this connotation of, of not just hearing the words that you're, that you're hearing, but to actually do them, right? So when God says, listen up, it means you've got a responsibility now to obey what follows. Uh, and so... Uh, it, it's obviously, it was important for Jews back then, uh, but it should be just as important to us today, right? That when we come across these words in Scripture, that, that we're actually taking the time and listening carefully and thinking about, okay, you know, what is it that God is trying to say, and how do I, how do I faithfully obey that? Uh, it continues, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Moses is declaring that there is one God, okay? And this is in a culture where there are many gods. And so Moses is trying to get the people to understand that you have one God that you pay allegiance to, right? There's one God. There's all these other gods that other countries are talking about and everything. You have one God. Therefore, uh, you listen to one God, okay? You're, You're obeying one God. You're not going off on all these other ones. Now, for us today, uh, we don't live in a polytheistic culture. Uh, you know, for the most part, at least here in America, you know, it, it's uh, a monotheistic nation. Um, and so <clears throat> we don't really get into other gods that much, right? I mean, there are cultures that do, but, uh, 
But for us, I think there are other gods out there that we can still apply this to, right? We have uh, gods that we sort of worship, you know, uh, greed or power or whatever. And so we want to be careful uh, that we're not worshiping other gods in our lives, ones that we've built up in our own lives. Verses 5 through 6, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, we've probably heard this passage before, right? At least I would hope that you have. Uh, and and we, we read this and we think, okay, uh, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, and with all your soul? <clears throat> and really, I think, you know, I mean, we can, we can spend a lot of time talking about all that. But I think the idea, right, is that uh, we worship God with our whole being, Right, that, that we don't have any reservations, that we're not holding anything back, that we are honestly seeking to worship God as best we can. And while we understand that this standard is impossible to live up to, it is the standard nonetheless. Right? Like just because we can't live up to it doesn't mean that we get an excuse to not try. Uh, and it still carries huge significance when sought after. Okay? Meaning people will notice when you actually try to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Uh, uh, with all your soul and with all your might. <clears throat> They'll notice. Uh, in fact, if you look at back in Deuteronomy, if you look at chapter 4, uh, there's a, a portion of that chapter that says that basically God wants them to live according to his laws and his commands because the other nations will take notice. Okay? They will see the benefit of following these laws, of following these, uh, these creeds. And and that they're going to say, wow, Israel is so wise. They're so wise. So even if they're not worshiping Yahweh, even if they're not worshiping the God of Israel, they're still going to see there's a, there's a direct uh, uh, correlation there between how well they're prospering and their God. And that will hopefully get them to think, maybe I should reevaluate who I worship, right? Uh, and in the same way, Okay, people around us, okay, as we look to, uh, to love God as best we can and to, again, love him without reservations, people will notice that, okay, and they will begin to be curious about those sorts of things. And so who knows, maybe they'll even come up to you and say, okay, why, why, why do you live like this? You know, why, what, is, what is the benefit? What, are you happy about this? Uh, those sorts of things, and you can have a really good conversation from that. Um, but it wasn't just the people around us or the other nations that God wanted us to see, or uh, wanted to see this. We'll see later that God wants future generations to be impacted by the way that we live our lives here today. He wants the future generations to be impacted by the elders. That's you guys, by the way. And so... By loving God and seeking after him, okay, uh, this causes a burden on our hearts, uh, a natural desire to want to carry out his commands, right? So when God is saying, I want you to uh, give to the poor or to uh, give your time and to, to spend time with people who uh, maybe you'd rather spend that time doing something else. If you love God, then you start to naturally say, yeah, I want that. I want what God wants for me. Right? Uh, whereas I think a lot of us, we sort of, when God asks us to do something, 
We're like, ah, I don't know about that. You know, I'd rather you know keep this time to myself, or I'd rather uh, save this money up. You know, there's a big house repair or something coming up, or or whatever. And uh, <clears throat> I think, and a lot of stuff. Well, I know I'm young, right? But in my short life, I've learned that when I focus so much on trying to live the right way and do the right things, basically, when I'm trying to focus on God's commands rather than loving God, uh, you know, just in that way, I tend to fail pretty miserably and I tend to become legalistic, right? It becomes about the rules, it becomes about the laws. Whereas if I focus on loving God, everything else just sort of falls into place. And yet, for some reason, we often don't do it that way. We often try to focus on the laws and, and get those done. Um, and, and again, do everything the right way, but, but then we end up not loving God, right? Isn't that what happened with the Pharisees? Okay, they, I mean, it started off for a love for God. Uh, but they became so focused on the rules and making sure that they're uh, following them correctly. And then they started adding rules to make sure that they weren't breaking the laws that God gave. And then all of a sudden, they're in this big mess. And, uh, and over time, I think the, their hearts were hardened. They, they no longer loved God. They, they loved following these rules. Now, I know that you know, even as we try to focus on God himself, you know, I know we fall short, right? Pastor Eric talked about that a couple weeks ago, uh, preaching from Romans 3. Uh, we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But uh, when we focus on loving God himself, uh, I think that we, we naturally uh, find ourselves wanting to please God and to make him happy. And, uh, and then again, the laws sort of naturally fall into place, right? Now, that's not to say there isn't supposed to be a love for the laws of God, right? Uh, God frequently in Scripture tells us to love his law and to love his commands, right? Uh, he even gives Ezekiel, I don't know if you've come across this passage, it's kind of weird, but he tells Ezekiel to take the scroll of the Lord, okay, Scripture, and he tells him to eat it. Uh, and it tastes like honey to Ezekiel, right? And that's, well, I believe that literally happened. I think it's also supposed to be symbolic, right? That God was saying, my laws are sweet, they are good to taste, and I want you to do these things. So absolutely, there needs to be a love for his law, but it must never supersede our love for God, Right? Why else do you think Jesus said in Matthew 22 that to love God and others as yourself are the greatest commandments? Okay, this is not just a, a New Testament idea. Jesus wasn't just saying this for the first time. No, this comes directly from this passage. Uh, to love God first and to love him well. And again, everything else, it's simply details, right? And everything else falls into place. And we tend to want to do it the other way. And I think it, it's a shame because when we do simply love God, it is so freeing because we don't worry about anything else. We're just like, yes, I want to, you know, I, I love God and, and anything he says I want to do. Uh, but instead, we, we build up this shame and we feel hopeless as we try to live off of a checklist. You know, have I done all the things I'm supposed to do today? You know, oh, shoot, you know, I, I only prayed for five minutes or maybe I didn't pray at all. Uh, I didn't read my Bible or, or maybe I just read a small amount. Uh, and we start to live sort of in fear and, and, and not, you know, in joy of God. And so what I would challenge you guys to do, you know, what, what if we set time aside doing the things uh, that, that make us uh, focus on God or, or that we enjoy? 
So for some of you I know, how many of you like the outdoors? A few of you, okay, right? So I mean, I, I would be willing to bet that a lot of you guys who like the outdoors, when you go out and you go and focus on God, that you come away like you want to read scripture, you want to pray, you want to talk with God, uh, because you just spent time out there looking at his beauty and looking at his creation, and uh, it just draws you into a natural love for him. Maybe you're not an outdoorsy guy, I'm not really myself, uh, but for me, reading a, a book about God or, or taking a theology class, those things, okay, when I do that, man, I want to just spend so much time with God. I want to get into the Word. I want to spend time in prayer, uh, just praising Him and, and, and uh, talking with Him just about things in my life. So do those things, because I guarantee that if you do the things that you enjoy, but with a focus on God, that you will naturally want to go to God, right? Uh, there's a book that talks uh, more in depth about this called Sacred Pathways uh, by Gary Thomas. I would recommend you read it. Um, it's not a revolutionary book by any means, but, but it's very helpful, I think, for, for helping us understand how we as, as individuals with different personalities uh, connect with God. Um, but yeah, we can talk about that another time. But the point is, we want to cultivate a love for God that's natural, because it will impact you, of course, but also, and more self-servingly to the point, uh, also your children, they will see these things. And that's my main reason for preaching here today. So starting here in verse 7, okay, that's, that's where I really start to, to build up uh, the youth ministry here. But you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. It is perhaps every parent's greatest desire to have their children grow up to love the Lord, right? Every Christian parent's greatest desire. Right? Like, if nothing else, you, you want them to love God, right? Maybe they're poor, maybe they didn't do so well uh, outside of school or whatever, but you'd be happy if, if they just dedicated their life to the Lord, uh, you know, and, and they just served him faithfully, right? I think that's safe to say. I don't know. I haven't been here in Stillman Valley very long, but uh, everywhere else I've been, I think that's the number one thing for Christian parents. And so... <clears throat> How do we do that? I mean, that's a lot harder, right? I mean, we want that for our kids. We want them to love the Lord. But how do we, how do we get them to do that? Well, first, I, I want to spend a little bit of time dispelling some myths. All right, because I think that sometimes we have these ideas in our mind uh, that are harmful uh, to, to accomplishing this goal. And one of them is, I am not, nor is any youth minister, or any pastor at any church, none of us are in charge of your children's uh, spiritual, uh, spirituality, right? None of us are in charge of making your kids love God. And now you're all thinking, okay, so what do we pay you for? <laughs> but no, it's not, it's not our job. Our job is uh, as... as uh, on staff at any church, the job is to help people, right? And, and to help them, uh, basically to assist them in the duties that, that I believe God commands to, to happen at home, right? Now notice this passage doesn't say, 
you know, teach your kids the law by taking them to Moses and, and have them sit down and, and then he'll instruct them and everything and then uh, you get to just kind of stay at home, right? Uh, that's not what happens there. What happens instead is it says, you shall teach them diligently. You shall talk of them. Uh, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, okay? You, the parents, you, the grandparents. Yeah, it, it also asks you, uh, you grandparents to get involved. Um, <clears throat> But I think there's this idea, right, and, and I've, as a youth minister, I've had people come up to me who basically hand me their child and they're like, fix him. Uh, yeah. And like, yeah, obviously I'm always happy to help in whatever ways I can, and so maybe you're in that situation. I don't want to say, like, don't come to me for help. That is what I'm here for, uh, is to help you uh, disciple this kid, but, but that's not primarily my responsibility. That's... You as the parent, you as the grandparent, that is your responsibility. Um, and so we want to make sure that you at home are, are, are raising these kids to love God. So how do, we, how do we set up a Christian home where that happens? Or what is a Christian home? Okay, you go to uh, you know family Christian store or Lifeway or whatever, right? And you buy some Christian decorations, okay? You put a, put a cross up and, you know, maybe you get a big giant verse or maybe this, uh, the Shema, right? You can put Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 up on the wall, right? Is that, a, is that what creates a Christian home? Well, no, right? I mean, I hope that we all understand the absurdity of that. I hope we all understand that, you know, while those things are nice and they can be very helpful, that that's not ultimately going to save your children, Right? So then what is a Christian home? How many of us have accidentally substituted you know, home decorations for, for discipling our children? I would hope nobody did it intentionally, but I, I do think there's a chance that it happened accidentally, right? You get the verse up there, you get the, you know, the, again, the cross, like maybe in the living room or whatever, and you just sort of kind of hope that that's enough, that they, that they see Jesus every day and that they're mindful of him. And again, those things can be very helpful. But we want to be careful that we're not like the Pharisees who Jesus said were like a cup that was cleaned on the outside but, but dirty on the inside, right? Because those decorations, they're not doing anything more than, they're, they're nothing more than out, outside stuff, right? And we want to get to the heart of things. And looking at a cross, yes, that, Again, that can be very good. That can, be, that can draw you into worship. I'm not saying don't have crosses in your homes, right? But, but it's also not going to communicate to a kid the love that God has for them and that God created them and, uh, and that he died and rose again and, and that we can have new life in him, right? That has to come from you, the parent, you, the grandparent. I also want to say that as you're talking with your kids, as you're discipling them, I think there's a, a temptation to have them wait for the big things that God is going to do in their life, rather than talk about all the small things, all the day-to-day things, right? I mean, you can start as small as the mere fact that I'm up here preaching right now, okay, that I have breath in my lungs. Uh, you know, I don't have my appendix anymore, but that was a good thing too at the time, right? But... But these are small things that we can thank God for, that we can say, thank you, thank you, God, and that it really changes their mindset as they're, as they're living life. 
Because if you teach them to do or to, to recognize God in the everyday, mundane, you know, uh, life things that we do, then it becomes more habitual. They start to do that on, on their own naturally. I would also say that if you try teaching your kids the law of God without first showing them your love of God, all right, this goes back to earlier in the passage, but I don't think it's going to go well. And there have been a lot of kids who I know have turned away from the Lord, and, and I'm not placing blame on the parents, but, but a factor in that was that the parents made sure that uh, they followed all the rules at home, right? That they weren't allowed to do these things, and, and they could do this, but uh, you know, not this, or whatever. And, and so they had all these rules, and so the kids didn't see the love of God necessarily from the parents, but they definitely knew the rules, and so they, they rebel against the rules, and, uh, and unfortunately, they never got to experience the fact that their parents loved God. If you uh, look at 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about, uh, well, just sort of about this issue here. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And how many of us have accidentally, you know, made sure that we we had all the rules and everything in place, uh, that uh, Christian conduct was set up at home, but but missing the main ingredient of joy, right? It's easy to do, by the way. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not sounding harsh to anyone here. It's very easy to do that. Uh, and so I want this message to be an encouraging one. It's very easy to forget about God and his laws. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, Modern-day people, okay, uh, we, we read the, the Bible, and man, we just sort of, we make fun of the Israelites, right? Like, man, they were stupid. God was constantly telling them, okay, you know, don't forget about me, and like two seconds later, you know, he turns his back, and they're already doing the thing that he told them not to do, right? Uh, look at the golden calf incident, right? Uh, and yet, we think that we're better than them somehow, and yet we're, I mean, it, I think that that's very characteristic of, of us today, right? We're constantly turning our backs on God. We're constantly forgetting him because we're not spending the day to day. I mean, you look at some of the other stuff in scripture that, that, uh, that scripture shows where people forgot God or his laws. I mean, uh, you look at Jephthah, right? In the book of Judges. How many of you remember that story? No, none. None? Really? Okay. Well, you'll probably remember this, okay? So he was the crazy guy who said, I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my home, right? Uh, it ends up being his daughter. Okay, now back then, there were, you know, they would keep all their livestock in their home, kind of on the first level. So he was clearly expecting an animal to walk out of there, uh, but it was his daughter. And so what does he do? He sacrifices her because he thinks, surely this is, I, I made a vow to God that I would do this. And yet, if he had truly known God, and if he had truly known God's laws, 
he would have known that in Deuteronomy, God gives an out, basically. If you make a stupid vow, uh, basically you can give an offering and God won't hold you to it. But he was so caught up in, I have to, I have to do this thing. And he didn't truly know God. And he didn't truly know that God wouldn't want him to sacrifice his daughter. It's, it's a very tragic story um, that I think often we, we miss out on. You look at Ruth, uh, you know, who was so bitter and so angry at God uh, because she wasn't in a place in her life where she thought she should be. You know, her whole family had died pretty much. Uh, she was just left with her, her daughters-in-law. And, you know, it, well, from the beginning of Ruth, it, it's clear, okay, the writer is trying to tell us uh, her family was not obeying God. And again, in Deuteronomy, basically what happened to Ruth's family was exactly what was said would happen if you didn't obey God, that if you worshipped other gods. But she didn't know God. She didn't love him, and uh, she didn't understand what was happening. She didn't know God's law. You can also look throughout uh, the rest of the uh, Hebrew Bible and you'll see that many people rejected uh, the prophets speaking God's truth because they did not recognize their words to be from God. Meaning they're so far removed from God that they just, when somebody was speaking directly from the Lord, they just, it was foreign to them. It didn't seem right. So I say that to say don't let the children and youths here at Kish become like one of those people. And how does that happen? Well, it's up to you to help them remember. Okay, Scripture, uh, especially Deuteronomy, uh, just tells the parents continually, remind your children about the things that I have done for you. Uh, you know, remind your grandchildren of, of the way that I worked in your life. And, and he recounts everything that happened in Exodus, you know. Uh, tell them about how I, how I delivered you from Egypt. Tell them how I, how I brought you into the promised land. The greatest thing you can give your child is a window into your love for God. Let them see that romance. Let them see you be affectionate toward God. You can fail at all else. And this is what I hope is the encouraging part. Maybe you're thinking, man, I have been a terrible parent. Or maybe I've been a terrible grandparent. Or, I don't know, I just feel like at a complete loss for how to raise my child. Maybe that's you. And maybe you're thinking, I just don't know how to parent. And I think what Scripture is encouraging in is that if we show them our love for God, if we let them see us worshiping, if, if, uh, if we share the stories of what God has done in our life, I truly believe that, for the most part, uh, it's going to work out all right. Now, maybe uh, some of you are further along in life, and, and maybe you have a child who isn't walking with the Lord today. And so maybe you feel guilt. Maybe you feel like, man, I, I should have done something more, or, or I could have done things better. And while that's certainly always true, I mean, we can always do better, uh, I do want to reiterate the fact that it is ultimately their decision. And so I hope that you don't have uh, an unnecessary burden on your heart that if somebody rejects the Lord, it was they that rejected him, not, it wasn't you, right? And so I hope that you don't carry a, a burden that you shouldn't have. But I also want to say that it's never too late 
Maybe, you, maybe you're sitting here thinking, ah, I just, I, I haven't done a good job. Well, you can still model, you can still model what it means to be a Christian uh, for the children. You can still do everyday life with them. And even as you fail, I think what's beautiful about uh, being a part of the kingdom is that you can model repentance, right? So even as you make mistakes, you can show them this is what a Christian does, though, when a mistake is made, right? And you can go up to them and say, I'm sorry I did that. I shouldn't have. Or I was in the wrong. Or I could have handled this better. And when we do those things, even though we failed, I think we're still kind of coming out uh, showing just how good God is and how loving he is. And so I encourage you, do everyday life with your kids. Do everyday life with your children or your grandchildren. Provide commentary on the things that are going on in your life and tell them, this is where I see God working. Or maybe you're waiting for something. Maybe you're waiting for God to show up. And you can say, I believe that God is going to show up and, and do this miracle or, or do this thing. And we'll sit here and we'll wait. Uh, you know, and, and, and let them see you pray for that. Pray with them. Uh, read scripture with them. But I think sometimes we make Christian parenting to be uh, much harder than it really is, right? We think like we have to have this perfect system set up. It's got to be super organized and like very detailed. And I'm not saying that uh, there's not benefit to that. But, but really, I mean, this is what scripture says. Teach them diligently. Talk with them. Talk with them all the time. Talk about them all day. Uh, and that's a lot easier to do. Share with them the story of God's providence. Of him turning your mourning into joy. Of his faithfulness to you and your family. You know, I mean, when we came from Sacramento, my, my family and I, uh, it was kind of a long journey. Not, not just because it's 2,000 miles, but, uh, <laughs> but just, I mean, the time that it took to, you know, to go from there to here uh, was a long one. And we, we spent a lot of time and uh, just spent a lot of prayer and you know, our, I was working part-time at a, a Korean church out there, and um, that was a wonderful experience, and, and they were very generous uh, paying me for, for the amount of time that they wanted from me, but I don't know if you've heard, but California is super expensive, uh, and so basically rent was covered, and that was it, and rent was covered for, well, and only rent was covered for about close to a year, I think, so yeah, you can imagine, like, yeah, finances were a little tight, um, and they kept getting tighter and tighter as each month passed. And, um, you know, obviously that's a little nerve wracking, especially having a child, you know, we're like, okay. Um, and yet, you know, we, I just remember, uh, the, the first big thing that happened was, uh, a Korean lady who, you know, the way the church is set up, you know, they have a Korean service and then an English service. So, uh, she was very much more part of the Korean service. So, meaning we had very little interaction, uh, and we never told her anything, but she, she came to us uh, with $3,000 just saying, I, just, I was praying this week, and I, I just, God laid it on my heart to, to bring this to you, and, uh, and I hope this, hope this helps. <laughs> you know, like, well, yes, yes, it does help. Thank you. Uh, but thank you, God, right? And so this is a story uh, that we can share with Petra, and uh, our baby boy, who, by the way, we just found out we're having a boy uh, this week. So, um, 
And, and we can share with them what's going on. You know, we can share with them how God was faithful in that. And also, though, we can teach them how we continue to be faithful to God. So during that time, even though we were, you know, pretty nervous about, you know, what we're going to do for rent the next month, even though we're pretty nervous about, uh, yeah, just how, how long can we stretch these funds, uh, we continue to give uh, to, to organizations and, uh, and various ministries, uh, you know, again, not to brag. It's just we believe that this is what we should do. This is what we should do to be faithful to God. And if you tell your kids when you do stuff like that, okay, again, it's not bragging. It's saying this is what we believe we should do. We feel convicted by God to do these things. It may seem small, but one day your kid or your grandchild is going to be in a similar place. And if you want them to faithfully serve the Lord, but you haven't provided a model for that, then what will happen? Okay? Now, some of them will figure it out, and you know, praise be to God for that. But a lot of us have the great benefit of looking back at parents or grandparents, and maybe you don't have any children. You still have an impact, right? Maybe uh, our parents didn't model something for us, but, but we know someone from our church that did. They did these things, you know, they, they faithfully gave or they faithfully served or whatever. And when they see those things, when they see the love of God, uh, that makes them much more likely to want to, to serve God and be faithful to him themselves. We believe that God created us, that he initiated this whole crazy and huge plan to go out and save us from ourselves and that he sent his only son to model for us what life looks like in the new kingdom and then died and rose again so that we could have new life and could one day be a part of that kingdom. And when we live in the way that this passage here in Deuteronomy demands, we show the next generation what that new life in Christ looks like and what it looks like on a day-to-day basis. Warts and all. Again, you don't have to be perfect. But I think verses 8 and 9 here, I'm wrapping up, I promise. Verses 8 and 9 here, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We won't get into kind of what the Jews did with that, but they did have physical objects that they'd actually put on them uh, that would remind them of God's law. But I, I think the main point from that is that we have to be intentional about doing this. Meaning, if you just think discipling your kids at home is just going to naturally happen, it's not. You have to set aside time. You have to be intentional about sharing these stories. You have to be intentional about uh, showing them how you love God, showing them uh, how you pray, showing them all these things. You have to do it. Because if we don't make it a part of everyday life, life takes the forefront of our minds instead of God. Right? And God becomes sort of an afterthought. It will not happen naturally, so we need to guard against this. <clears throat> uh, and God, even in Scripture, instituted all sorts of feasts and ceremonies uh, because it's human nature to wander from him. And these ceremonies and these rituals and festivals and all that stuff, they help us to refocus on God. So you do need to do something. So do it. Uh, your children are depending on you. And you also make my job easier. So uh, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for 
the opportunity to hear from your word. We ask that uh, you would just be with us as we think carefully about these. Father, as you said, listen. May we open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us today. May you give us ideas on what we can do to, to disciple our children at home or our grandchildren or even just the children in the community. We thank you for this responsibility. We ask that uh, you help guide us through it, that we would be faithful to you, faithfully disciple the children as you have called us to. Uh, we just ask that uh, the youth here at Kish would just be a testament uh, to your faithfulness uh, and to your, your great blessing and providence. pray all these things in your name. Amen.